0: Very excited to be with all of you this morning. And I think those of you who have been parents, the next thing that I'm going to share, I'm guessing that you'll be able to relate to it. You see, I have a daughter who is two and a half. Okay, you guys didn't go. <gasps> so let me repeat that. She is two and a half, two and a half going on 25. And so the words that we have heard often in our house over the last couple of months are these. I do it. And you remember those days, or maybe you're <laughs> maybe you're living in them right now, right? It's way past your bedtime, we need to brush your teeth. I do it. Oh, no, we gotta get in the car, we're, we're ready to go, we gotta get you in your car seat so buckled up. I do it right? You, you want some milk in your, in your Cheerios? I do it, right? And now sometimes, like, it's cute. In fact, sometimes it's incredibly adorable. And other times, you know, as a, as a dad, I'm, I'm proud. I'm excited to see my little girl growing up, becoming independent, right? But other times, Ooh, Other times, it gets a little challenging because sometimes my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, when she says those words, I do it, sometimes she's screaming them. Sometimes she's she's yelling them. Sometimes she's kicking and and screaming them, right? Because she wants to do it. And there are some things that I'm just not going to let my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter do it. Like, no, you can't cut the apples with the chef's knife. But at two and a half, she doesn't really like to hear, no. So sometimes when she can't do it, when I won't allow her to do it, And she kicks, she screams, she she throws herself flailing on the floor. It's as if her entire identity is all completely wrapped up in what she can or cannot do. And she's not ready to accept that there are some things she can't do. She's not ready to let go of her self-sufficiency. But what about you? Are you ready to let go of your self-sufficiency? Are you willing to, to back off and not say, I do it or is that hard for you? Or have you been bowing down too much at the altar of power and the idols of success and money and achievement? So that sometimes, maybe you too, you feel like your entire identity is all wrapped up in what you do. To draw a better picture of the idols that sit on top of the throne in our hearts, this week we're, we're going to ask those questions. Difficult questions, probing questions. We're going to get deep down into our hearts And we're going to see if there might be those idols of self-sufficiency. The idols of power and success and wealth and achievement and accomplishment. If those might be sitting on our hearts. We need to lead ourselves to get to the important choice that Jesus led that young man that we just read about the choice to which Jesus led him. This young man shows up in Mark chapter 10, where we read, he, he also is captured in the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Three out of the four biographies of Jesus, they talk about this man. So it's important, this incident is important. And Mark, he introduces it this way. He says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And so first impressions of this man, we don't know too much about him. We see that he respected Jesus. And maybe if you're familiar with this biblical account or, or just as you heard me read it before, maybe you, you recognize that this highlights to us the dangers of wealth and money. And that's true. We're going to talk about that. Luke is going to share with us. Mark shares with us at the very end that he was, he was a wealthy man. But we're really going to see that his wealth, his riches, those blessings, they were part of the issue but just a part. Really this man struggled with that idol of self sufficiency. Luke tells us that he was a ruler. So he had a position, he had power, he had authority and we also find out that he was young. So he was young, he was rich, he was in a position of power. I mean, this guy, he was the poster child for success and accomplishment and achievement. And those things had become his God. You can tell that his God was God of self-sufficiency in the words that he spoke. He said, good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? And when you hear the word inherit, you maybe think that he views eternal life as a gift that can be given to him, but that really contradicts what he says right before that, because he said, what must I do? And so that word that's translated inherited, it could also be translated gain or acquire. You see, this young, rich, powerful man, he wanted to add one more great accomplishment to his growing list. He wanted to have one final great success in his life. When it came to eternal life, he wanted to say, I'll get it. I'll I'll buy it. I'll, I'll win it. He wanted to say, I do it. Self sufficiency is an incredibly powerful drug with an incredible high, but it also causes a catastrophic crash. We know how good it feels to accomplish something, right? You know how good it feels to succeed at something. Or maybe if you feel you haven't been very successful in your life, then maybe you think, well, I know how good it must feel to succeed, to accomplish. You strength finders, achievers out there, man, you love to just cross things off your list each day, right? And it doesn't matter how important it might be to anybody else, but for you, that's that's huge. It feels good. Cross it off. Get it done. And these gods, these idols of self-sufficiency, achievement, power, wealth, success... I mean, they give us easy ways to keep score. And we love scorecards. You know, the, the promotions that we've been awarded at work, the, the positions that we hold, the accolades that come behind our name on our business card, square footage, our bank account numbers, The accounts closed, the cases won, the grades that we get, even just those daily tasks that we can cross off, we know how to keep score. Those are the things that we can track in our own mind, and it feels good. And don't get me wrong a drive to succeed, a a drive to want to accomplish things, it's not bad. Money is not evil. It's a good gift and a blessing from God. But it's important for us to think through what is sitting on the throne of our hearts that causes that drive to succeed or that drive to accomplish whom do we thank for those gifts and those blessings? And so I love the answer that Jesus gives because Jesus understood that this man's wealth, this man's power, his success, that wasn't the issue. What sat on the throne of his heart, that was the issue. Jesus knew exactly where the battle for his heart took place. And you look at, look at the answer that Jesus gave. When he said, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And so Jesus reminded this man of the commandments that he knew, commandments that you probably know too. But did you notice what Jesus didn't say? Did you notice what's actually conspicuously absent in this list of commandments? Like, if you just go through these commandments the way that I, we often number them. There's some different ways to number them, but the way we often number them, you got the, the fifth commandment, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, fourth. Do you hear the commandments I didn't list? There are some pretty big ones that Jesus missed, and apparently this man, he missed them too. No, Jesus didn't say anything about the commandment, which elsewhere he called the greatest commandment. He didn't mention the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. He didn't talk about idols. He didn't talk about how with all the gifts and the blessings that we have in our life that we can use those to glorify our God. That our sense of purpose, our desire to achieve and succeed, that that can be carried out with the purpose of giving glory to God alone. That we find our identity in our incredible creator. That when we use those gifts to the best of our abilities, it does worship and praise him. And Jesus didn't say anything about the second commandment you shall not misuse the name of the lord your god and theologian martin luther he he talked about that his explanation for that was that instead of misusing god's name we are to use it the right way right we are to call upon him in the day of trouble pray praise and give thanks that when we come against those struggles those challenges that are that are fighting against what what we want to achieve and accomplish that we turn first to our God. That we trust in Him, that, that we lean on Him, that we go to Him in prayer. That, that would be the first name on our lips in those struggles. And that when we do succeed, and when we do accomplish, then the first name on our lips then is also our Lord. As we praise Him for that blessing, as we give Him thanks. Jesus didn't mention anything about that third commandment. He didn't say anything about honoring or remembering the Sabbath day. That in our overachieving schedules that we can build in time to just sit and rest and reflect on our God and His grace, His goodness. to take that time to be still. Do you think that Jesus maybe wanted this man to pick up and to hear what he didn't say? I do. I think Jesus wanted this man to realize that he had put his focus on everything else except the one thing that was truly good? Because that's what Jesus had just said, right? If you look right before that, he, Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, How do you classify what is good? And here Jesus doesn't just mean that moral or ethical quality of something that makes it good or bad. Here he's talking about what is truly beneficial. What brings joy? What brings goodness into your life? What really counts on the scorecard? And he wanted to lead that man to see that that is God. All of the good, all of the success in our life, it comes from God. And so if if we want to talk about success, if we want to talk about our accomplishments, if we want to talk about what we're going to achieve, then it all has to start and begin with our good, good God. Our good, good God who loves us even when we would rather be self-sufficient than rely on his goodness and his grace. A young man, he, he kept the focus on what he had done. All these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him with that never stopping, never giving up kind of love. The love that that drove Jesus to dethrone the idol in this man's heart. That love of, that never stopping, never giving up love of Jesus that moved him to propose an important choice for this man. Jesus loved this man enough to tell him to choose. He said, Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And so Jesus said, you choose your wealth, your power, your position, your success, your accomplishments, or me. You can choose that or you can follow me. it was a difficult choice for this young man. We're told that he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know, Jesus gave this man such a drastic choice because he knew exactly where the battle for his heart was being fought. He couldn't make that choice. He had too much success, too much wealth, too big of accomplishments, too much to give it up. Now Jesus is able to read hearts. But let's take a moment right now to look at our own hearts. To look at our own hearts and allow Jesus' words to help us to realize what this young man needed to realize, that, that maybe, maybe there was a different God that was sitting on the throne of his heart. Because Jesus loves you enough to ask you to choose. And so what what would be too much? If Jesus asked you to give it up, what would be too much? He loves you enough to dethrone those idols of success and power and accomplishment, those idols that love to feed off of our desire to be self-sufficient. And maybe sometimes in your life, Jesus will help you see that when you don't land that job, when you don't get that promotion you've been working so hard for, when the success that you thought was in your grasp doesn't come about. Maybe Jesus is calling you to rely on your God instead of your own self-sufficiency. And when Jesus Leads us to make the choice to follow him. He gives us a a different scorecard, a scorecard on which we write nothing of our own, but everything of Jesus. Can you imagine what this young man would have seen if he had chosen to follow Jesus? He would have seen this miraculous provider who fills people's hands, who fills their mouths, who fills their hearts, who takes very little and creates much, who causes the nest to be cast into the sea to come up full of fish, who provides daily bread. He would have seen this miraculous healer who causes the incurable diseases and sicknesses to flee the body. And eventually, he would have seen this man so successful, so full of potential for accomplishment and greatness. He would have seen this man humbly dying on a tree, for those he loved he would have seen this man pouring forth his blood willingly for the forgiveness of the world you see when Jesus leads you to follow him he always leads you to the cross and when you come to the cross and you see what Jesus has done for you, you know that there is nothing that you can bring. Jesus leads you to see that his greatest success, his greatest accomplishment was one there, this very salvation of your souls, the forgiveness of your sins. When Jesus leads you to follow him, he leads you to his empty tomb. And as you peer into that empty tomb and you know that he rose again from the dead, you realize that there is no accomplishment, there is no success, there is no achievement as glorious as that that assures you of your own resurrection to life. When Jesus calls you to follow him, he leads you to see the freedom that you have A freedom so that you don't become enslaved to these ideas of success and achievement and power and wealth and money, but that you can live in the grace of God and in His goodness. The freedom that then you you can pursue success, You, you can seek to accomplish to the glory of your God and using His gifts and His blessings to the very best of your abilities. He leads you to see the freedom of knowing that God, your Heavenly Father, He is proud of you as His dear children. And live in that freedom. When it comes to your eternal salvation, instead of kicking and screaming and and crying out, I do it live in the freedom that christ gives you that christ has accomplished it all for you That when he sits on the throne of your hearts you have incredible freedom that god looks at you and god says to you because i love you because i care so deeply for you I do it. Amen.